reaching from way down here. Yeah. 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 From way down here. Welcome to Thread, a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ. Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah D'Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. Welcome back to Thread. We got to hear from Dr. Courtney Bailey on Abraham last week. So before we jump in, Dave sent me a message recently and asked if I knew who Peppa Pig was. And I said, of course I do. And then you want to share with the listeners why you asked me that question? I do. So um, (laughs) it was really fun. My daughter, who lives in Chicago, was out on a walk with her daughter, who's two and a half years old, little Eden. And they were listening to our podcast. And as they were listening, Hannah had it on speaker and Eden said, that's Papa. That's what she calls me. Mm. And then she heard Hannah's voice and she goes, that's Peppa Pig. So she thought thought that Papa was talking to Peppa Pig, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. So I wanted to make sure that you knew who Peppa Pig was. And of course you do. I do. I definitely do. So yes, you can say you weekly talk to Peppa Pig. I weekly talk to Peppa Pig. And I told you I would call her if ever she wants to talk to Doctor, not Doctor, to Peppa Pig. <laughs> That's right. And That's if any great. of you listening have children that like Peppa Pig, I'm happy Should to Should we give oblige. your phone number out? Mm. Definitely not. But we'll maybe have to do some Peppa Pig impressions on the next episode. <laughs> For a fee. <laughs> For a fee. <laughs> Well, we can lay out the topics that are coming for this series, which we're now in, God's Nation Birthed. And we have eight titles that are to come. So we have, we already did episode 12, Abraham, and today's episode is the Suzerain and Vassal Treaty, which we'll discover more about shortly. And the week after that will be Sarah and Hagar, and then Jacob for episode 15. Episode 16 will be Jacob's wrestling match. Episode 17 will be on Joseph, and then we have Moses in Egypt, episode 18, and episode 19 will be Moses in the wilderness. So lots to look forward to to come. We will have introduced two important concepts in the episode with Dr. Courtney Bailey, and that is promises and faithfulness. And in this episode, we're going to be introducing another critical spiritual principle, and that is covenant, which is a thread that carries throughout the entirety of the Bible. So we're excited to kind of establish what that is in this episode today. Yeah, this is actually one of the most important motifs in all of biblical theology. So what's amazing about Genesis is we get introduced to these themes, these threads that start pulling all the way through the text. And as you said, Hopefully, we did a really good job introducing promises last time and faithfulness, but covenant is one of the big ones. So it plays out over and over again. We've already seen the concept introduced with Noah, God's relationship with Noah and the, and the covenant that he made. We'll now see it today with Abraham. We'll see it with the patriarchs. It gets reiterated. Covenant gets reiterated with Israel, the priesthood and the Davidic dynasty. And then, of course, all the way into the New Testament. It's one of the most important concepts for us in our relationship with Jesus. 
So that's what we're going to be pulling on a little bit today. So the covenant concept has come to light a lot more for scholars in the last century. Archaeology has done a lot to show us the backdrop of where these things that may not have made sense to us in the past now make more sense because we start discovering things about the culture. And one of my favorite discoveries that was made in the 20th century was the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. And it came out of this, this collection of international political documents out of the Hittite Empire from somewhere around the 14th century. And they discovered that there was multiple, kind of maybe two major types of covenants that existed in those days. One was called the Parity Treaty, which was a kind of relational treaty between two equal parties. And then there was another one called the Suzerain-Vassal Treaty, which was between a greater and a lesser party, which is what we really have here. Of course, Yahweh and Abraham, a greater and a lesser. So what scholars have found is these remarkable parallels between these treaties and how they were used and the way that many of the biblical texts are written, including Genesis 15, which we're going to get into a little bit today. But we're going to also see that these treaties play out even in more articulated detail as we go. So like at Sinai, when Israel is, is at Sinai as a nation, we see even more details playing out in these patterns. So this one's a little bit trickier to do in a podcast, right, Hannah, to talk through all these details. Yeah, we're actually highly recommending that you watch this one because Dave has a wonderful diagram um, here, color-coordinated, which I think would be helpful to follow along as we do this podcast. But we hope if you're listening and you're not able to view it, that it will still make sense. But the visual is very helpful. I know it was for me. Yeah. And we're also, for those of you who are listening through the app, we're going to have this available on the bottom of your app. So you'll be able to see and look at this PDF. So we'll make sure that that's in there for this week, for this episode. So let's talk this through. Let's, let's look at this document together and really what this is, is it def- gives some definitions to what is a suzerain? What is a vassal? How do we think about covenant? And then when we look at these ancient Hittite treaties, what do we see? Because they all kind of follow the same pattern. And so let's just kind of break this down and talk about it. Does that sound good to you, Anna? It sounds great. All right. So suzerain, that's a word we use every day. What's a suzerain? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my last name almost. D'Souzerin. Oh, yeah. D'Souzerin. <laughs> That's right. So just to, to step into the ancient world for just a little bit, there were not strong geopolitical boundaries the way that we have today. So today, if you leave the UK and you want to become a citizen in the United States, you need, or if you even want to visit, you need a passport. If you want to become a citizen, you have to go through a whole citizenship process or vice versa, if an American wanted to become a citizen of the UK, we'd have to go through a citizenship process. Without geopolitical boundaries, really the way that the world ran was through kind of lordships where there would be geographies that were either led by kings or lords, 
or in this case, it's another word for suzerain. A suzerain is someone who exercises a political control over a, a specific area. So you can imagine in this ancient Near East world that you know you had kind of both. You had these bigger areas where you had kings, like you know Egypt's a great example of that. They had the pharaoh that was the king of the entire area of Egypt, but then you also had a lot of other like many little lordships. And so they'd be called suzerains. So a vassal is someone that doesn't have any particular citizenship, so to speak. And they, let's say they're a shepherd, they're traveling from place to place with their flocks. They're trying to find a place for their flocks to to live. And they may come into an area of a certain lord and align themselves with that lord or that suzerain for many reasons, right? To not have someone looking out for you that you belong to becomes really dangerous in those kinds of spaces. So the purpose of aligning yourself in a covenant relationship with a suzerain was for your protection and in order to receive their protection, similar to the way that you would respond if you were becoming a citizen of a country, you have to make commitments to the country or vows to, of loyalty to that country. And so these were these covenants or these treaties. And what's interesting about covenants, you know, covenants and contracts are a bit different, fortunately. Like we don't sign covenants or enter covenants with our phone companies. No, that's intense. <laughs> it would be, right? If you had a lifelong covenant with AT&T, <laughs> that, might, that might, might be a challenge. Sign blood. Yeah, yeah. So, but then there's other relationships. In fact, in the in in kind of our modern world, we only really have one true covenant relationship, and even that's really not care. It doesn't carry the same weight it used to. And that covenant would be marriage, right? It's a, it's intended to be until death do us part, and we both provide this commitment to that covenant. So when they would make these covenants in the ancient world. There was a lot of really personal relationship language. So they would use imagery of fathers and sons. So, you know, the suzerain as the father, the vassal as the son. In in a lot of cases, we even see that the vassal would change their name in recognition of this covenant. So even though it had these legal implications, it was also very personal. And for a vassal to break covenant would be a huge statement about their character. So honor's really at stake here. So the intent is not just honoring these rules, but really it's intended to be a giving of the heart and the soul to the relationship and binding in this kind of covenantal relationship. So that's kind of the the framework and then they follow these six or seven steps. Now most of the ancient near east treaties that we've discovered have six things. This one has a seventh piece and we get that seventh piece from scripture and we'll break that that down. That's kind of this binding of the covenant with blood that we see in some covenants but not all covenants. So it's important for people to remember that it you know, we're trying, 
we're trying to understand a world that we don't live in. Right. And we're taking these clues and we're making these applications and maybe sometimes we don't make them exactly perfectly, but we're getting the general idea. Right. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk through these steps. The first step in, in these treaties was called either the preamble or the introduction. And so let's imagine you should be the suzerain. Maybe, maybe you and I can play this out, Hannah. Okay. Tell me what to say. I'll be the the D'Souzerin. You can be the D'Souzerin? Okay, good. We'll make you the suzerain. So you're the suzerain and I'll be the vassal. And at least it gives us an idea of how to how this would work. So if I'm the one that's come on to your into your land and I want to build this covenantal relationship with you as the suzerain, we would start this process in this treaty by introductions. And so it would be, you know, Hannah D'Souza, the suzerain of the the land. So you'd be identified as the suzerain by your name and your title. So that's always kind of piece one, the preamble. The second part would kind of be either a historical prologue or defining of the relationship. Like how did we come to know each other? So it might be, you know, because the events leading us to this treaty were that David Pachta and his flock of 50 sheep wandered into the land and you know 2 months ago and have decided to make their home here in D'Souzaville or wherever we are <laughs> so it's really the status or the history of the relationship how it started and how, what brought us here hmm. would that be someone we have, making these yeah. interactions would they be face to face or would there be a mediator well, that's a great question. You know, we we don't get to see these played out because we don't have videotapes of them. We we <laughs> just discover nice. it. So they're so, all in documentation. We, yeah. So we've discovered okay. these written. So we know they were written down because we can see these six steps in these treaties that we've uncovered. Mm. Wouldn't that be neat to actually have a Netflix where we could just pop oh, up? Amazing. These, that would be great. So. When we get to this third step, it's it's more the general stipulations, the loyalty due to the suzerain. In other words, what are the rules that the vassal has to play? So what does Pacta need to do in order to enter this covenantal relationship? And it would usually be played out in, in pretty great detail. There'd be even moral terms used, like it would you'd be responsible as the vassal to walk with or walk before with your whole heart or to love. So there was this concept of total loyalty that's expected mm. by the vassal. All right. So that's kind of the that, third step. Is that the word I was reading up a little bit about this before? Hesed? Would that be the kind of loyalty? Or yeah, that's interesting. Kindness? So that's a that's used as a Hebrew word for love right? Has said love, mm-hmm. a covenantal kind of committed love. That's great. Actually, I, I hadn't thought about that. That would be an interesting thing to dig into if that's connected to this concept of the like rules. An, maybe like a too deep of a commitment for if it's just a shepherd and, a, and an overlord of a land, that kind of like love seems intense, but maybe it's the loyalty there. It is. It's a deep sense of loyalty. Now, you can imagine, this is kind of maybe a funny anecdotal side note, but I love watching shows about Vikings. 
Right. So there's been there's been these incredible series about Vikings. There's so many shows about Vikings. There's whole series (laughs) of shows on Netflix and other and Prime about Vikings and specifically in the eighth century. And this, what you really see this concept play out, right? So this sense of who you're loyal to and how that affects your reputation and who you're fighting for, who's your man, who have you committed to, it's very significant. So you're right. I, I think that concept, it may seem strange to us about love and walking with and using those deep concepts, but loyalty was critical for survival. Mm. Hmm. And would this be till death, like as long as we live, this um, covenant? Between a You're asking and a too vessel. many questions. I can't answer I'm now, sorry. Hannah. That's no. That's that's a great question too. <laughs> I actually don't know that. I don't know that. Mm. We need one of our listeners to go do some more research and find that out. Yes. Let us know what they find. Let us. Certainly, they were. They were. Now you do see. I can tell you from the Viking shows that <laughs> <laughs> these these covenants were usually held until someone died. Um, that broke that covenant. So your loyalty to a specific king or a suzerain would be until you died or that suzerain died. That was very common. Now, again, it's probably bad that we're trying to apply Viking shows on Netflix to the suzerain (laughs) vassal treaty. This won't be common in the rest of the the podcast. It won't be resorting to that as our resource. But it's a good question. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the fourth thing is these either specific stipulations or... What's also kind of thought about is where this took place, like the temple areas and where they were sworn. So in other words, this this covenant is sworn before witnesses, but it's, and we'll get to that, it's kind of step five, but it's in a space that's sacred. So often it would be sworn before a god's, gods or a god, and it would be kept in the temple and it was reread every year as a reminder of this commitment. So then the witnesses were always had to be there to make sure that, that, you know, people saw and witnessed this. Sometimes the witnesses were a list of other gods that they found. So you'd look at a list of the Hittite gods as witness to this, you know, important treaty. And then they always ended in the same space, which is the blessings or the curses. So the vassal, Pacta, agreed to being blessed if if I were to uphold these rules and I would accept curses if I did not uphold these rules. So the specific ones were laid out, like what does obedience look like and what does disobedience look like? You'll be blessed if you do this and you'll be cursed if you do this. Now, for our attentive biblical readers, they'll recognize that that's a huge part of what happens in the book of Deuteronomy. That God, as they're entering the promised land, you see the blessings and the curses play out there. So we'll get to that when we get further along in the book of Deuteronomy. What's interesting about how some of these ended when it was actually put into place, and we see this in scripture, examples of this is that the covenant oath was bound by blood. So an animal was often cut into halves and separated. And as the suzerain and the vassal would walk between the animals, 
the blood represented this kind of binding oath. And so it wasn't uncommon that the blood would be touched by both parties, symbolizing that they now shared this one life because of the death of this animal. They now shared this one life in this covenant relationship. They would pass between, and it's been noted a lot that the the statement that was frequently made was that they would say something along the lines together of, if I don't uphold this covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. Mm. So in our case, with the D'Souza Pactus suzerain vassal treaty, you and I would be walking side by side in picturing this, reaching down and touching the blood that this of this animal as it split in two and saying together, if I don't uphold this covenant, <laughs> may what happened to this animal happen to me. It's it's mm. a profound and powerful image. Wow. Right? You're right. We have nothing like this today. <laughs> we have nothing like this. <laughs> yeah, we'd get arrested if we did that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so wow. There's an interesting scripture, and we'll, we'll, we'll read here Genesis 15 together, and, and people will start seeing, I think you'll start making the connections, but there's a really interesting verse in Jeremiah that actually talks about a very similar concept of the, the covenant, and they used to end up, call, they end up calling this cutting a covenant, and that's why the concept of cutting a covenant comes oh. from. Hmm. Right, you're not just making a covenant; you're cutting a covenant because animals are being cut in half to make this covenant. So in Jeremiah 34, we see a similar passage play out. And Hannah, could you read for us Jeremiah 34 verses 17 to 20 for us? Yeah, it says, "Therefore, thus says the Lord: You have not obeyed me by granting a release to your neighbors and friends. I am going to grant a release to you," says the Lord a release to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And those who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make like the calf when they cut it in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf shall be handed over to their enemies and to those who seek their lives. Their corpses shall become food for the birds of the air and the wild animals of the earth. It's amazing, right? Yeah. So you see this same concept, the implications of breaking covenant playing out with the same thing that happened to the animals. And you even see that Yahweh in this makes that connection of that covenant and its implications. So we do see this, but it's not in the Bible very often. That's one of the only places that we see it played out like that, but we do see it in other ancient Near East treaties. So now that we kind of have an idea of what this kind of seven-step process looked like, um, I want us to read Genesis 15. You know, it's funny, when I, was, when I was a younger Christian, Genesis 15 just didn't make sense to me. It's just, what's going on in this passage? Again, we have to remember that there's not a lot of super direct all the time parallels here, but we see that become more clear later. What's fascinating about this is we actually see some things that are almost abnormal in this covenant. 
that will show us something about Yahweh and something about us. I think that's really interesting in this initiation of the relationship. So Hannah, if you don't mind, let's read Genesis 15, 1 through 21. And you're welcome to follow along here. So in verse 20, verse 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. We had to include that verse there. <laughs> had to. Thank you. I think I said parasites instead of parasites. This yeah, is amazing, well, this passage. Right? Yeah. Mm. It's, it's it's just so amazing. So the first couple of times I taught this, I actually was talking to a friend of mine, John Lusk, about this. I taught this in St. Louis many, many years ago, and we created life-size animal cutouts. Oh, wow. And we painted them and I had a life-size heifer and a life-size goat and a life <laughs> and and we demonstrated this for the mm. congregation. I did it in Lagos, Nigeria too, by the way, which was oh, really fun wow. at this big congregational service and we did it at a conference and because it is powerful to see this like physically mm. what's happening here. Yeah. So let's just touch on a few points of connection with this this treaty and this passage we just read. So one of the things that's fascinating, they're in this conversation, Abram and Yahweh, and then you can see God even announce to him, I am the Lord. And you go, why would he announce I am the Lord? We know you're the Lord. They're, they're already, but it's the introduction of the preamble, mm. right? It's this indicator of this covenant. And then you immediately see this definition of relationship. 
I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur. So that same kind of established, how did you come into this relationship? Well, I'm the one that actually called you and called you out of Ur. So what's this is where we start getting to some interesting things. So the rules, what are the rules? This passage in verse six, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteous. All that was done was Abram trusting that what the Lord said, the Lord would mm. do. And that was what was considered following the rules. Wow. He believes and then he falls asleep. Like there's very minimal there. <laughs> yeah, right? He believes and he falls asleep. He's, he trusts God. Yahweh oh. for Yahweh's faithfulness, which again, you know, episode 12 promises faithfulness, that this is the God that can be trusted. This is the God who's faithful. And our act of covenant is receiving God's faithfulness and trusting God's faithfulness. And I love that it doesn't just say he believed, but it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, this is the fulfillment of what's expected, trust. Mm. Fascinating, right? Wow. So, you know, the temple one's interesting for me because, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about creation and God's creating the stars and the garden. And I thought, I thought it was really interesting in this text that, that Yahweh brings him out into the starry night. It's almost like that's the temple right? And the witnesses were the stars. And he says, look up at the sky and count the stars if you indeed can count them. I thought that was pretty amazing. The other thing that's kind of the twist is the witness thing. So Abram is told to cut these animals in half to set up this covenant. And then what happens? He goes to sleep. And who passes between the pieces? Well, a, it says it's a fire pot and a torch. In the ancient Near East, that imagery always was symbolic of divine presence. It provoked fear and awe and dread, but it, it meant God. So God is God, in God's self is passing between these cut animals, in essence, saying, if this covenant does not get upheld, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And where's Abram? Sitting over on the side, watching this as a witness to the covenant that Yahweh's entering with him. In a sense, it's almost as if Yahweh is saying, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to fulfill this covenant. Which I just find amazing. So the blessings and the curses, you know, God, Yahweh even makes promises here. To your descendants, I will give this land. That's why you had to go and read all the, all the names. <laughs> the Kenites, the, parasite, the parasites, the parasites. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you had to read that because it's, it's part of that amazing blessing that, that God is going to be faithful to God's promise, even though it doesn't, it's not going to happen. This is another kind of key point. It's not going to happen in the time that Abram would want it to happen, mm. it's going to be 430 years until that promise <laughs> is fulfilled, which is really, really, really hard, right? Yeah. 
So Yahweh is the sole signatory on this covenant. It's just mm. amazing. It's really moving, actually. Even the fact that so much of this is spoken over Abraham as he's asleep. I think that's a really powerful image, too, that you're not even conscious of what I'm doing, but I will fulfill my role regardless. It's, yeah, really powerful. Really is, yeah. So you had this quote you were sharing earlier with me. I'd love for you to, to share with our oh, listeners yeah. from the Epic of Eden that ties into this. Yes, this is so Sandra Richter. I've mentioned Epic of Eden before, but she has a section in the in her book where she talks about treaties and covenants. And she referring to, referring to the story we just read, she writes, Here Yahweh condescends to Abram's humanity by choosing a means of warranty that had currency in Abram's world. This in itself is amazing, but more amazing is that unlike every other patron, client, or suzerain and vassal agreement we know of, in Genesis 15 it is the greater party who takes the role of the lesser party by passing between the bloody pieces. And then she writes, God showed up, and on this day the Lord of the cosmos made a covenant with his servant Abram, which he sealed with the promise of his own blood. Amazing. Just mm. amazing. So, yeah, it seems that, so the terms of this covenant that we've just read, I know they appeared a, co- a few times later on. We, in, Je- in Genesis 12, when he calls Abram, we see this introduction of a covenant. And then in 15, as we just read, and I think in chapter 17, it kind of appears again. And you mentioned even the 430 years before things are fulfilled. I am curious what you think about the, I guess, the repetition of these terms, if that was a common practice. I, I think it could be challenging. I know it does get challenging when later on, I don't know how many years have passed between chapter 15 and chapter 17, but it does say that they're past childbearing age at this point, Abram and Sarai. But again, the promises are reiterated. You're going to be a father of nations, a mother of nations, and multitudes will come from you. There's even the name change. And we, I definitely can sympathize with the disbelief that comes or the laughter of Sarai or Abram questioning, is this really going to happen for me? And it's, it is kind of, I guess, as I read that narrative, this, it's very plain, the language. It's not really like a, empathetic to that but god just is very he's god and he restates the promises what do you think about that i think that might be a challenging concept the idea of waiting and holding out on god's timing there's no apologies from god i'm sorry it's been (laughs) however many years yeah i know i know and we can we can read read the read through this in a few minutes as if, you know, it's all happening at the same time. And it, to your point, it's not. I mean, decades are passing between some of these promises and their reiteration. I mean, it, you just have to feel for Abraham mm. and Sarai. It, it's a long time before yeah. they see things happen. And it means so much to us, those of us who are older and go, okay, here I am. I mean, I'm 54 now and I'm like, I see, I see God fulfilling things in my life now that I wanted 20 years ago, but it's taken (laughs) 20 years or it'll Mm. take 30 or 40 years or I won't see them in my lifetime. And I think that's also one of the things that God's establishing here. So you have this repetition of faithfulness. You have some details even that get added. So scholars even kind of debate of 
How many covenantal promises were there? Was it all at once? Did it happen two times or three times or four times? Is it a reiteration of the same? You know, so there's a lot of debate about that. But I think what's really clear is the holistic nature of what's being promised, the covenant relationship and what it is going to mean and the implications. Like, for example, we talked earlier about how the name is changed in a lot of these covenants. And we see that take place actually in Genesis 17 from Abram to Abraham or Avraham. So we see that transition not happen in Genesis 15, but in Genesis 17. We're going to see that again with Jacob when in the end of his life, I think he was 96 or 97 years old in Genesis 22, 32, when he wrestles with this divine being, his name is changed to Israel. And it's this kind of end of life culminating where we would expect that to happen much earlier. So there's a lot to think about. So I know, you know, we've, we've unpacked a lot of the story here. We don't have a lot of time to talk, you know, about the implications of spirituality, but I think it's good just to identify a few pieces here. How do we think about this in relation to our spirituality? So we'll just kind of maybe highlight five quick things to think about. One is, I think it's important to recognize that we're in the second covenant, not the parity covenant between two equal partners, but we're in the covenant of the greater and lesser partners, the suzerain and vassal treaty. Yet go, well, you go, of course, I mean, it's God and it's us in these covenantal relationships. But if we really accept that we're the vassal, we also then allow Yahweh to provide definition of the relationship for us. I think it's our responsibility to learn and understand the role that we're in. And then we have to decide if we want that relationship. So the nature of covenant is that it's defined for us by God, and then we choose to enter it. So I think that's important for us to think about. I think third, this covenant, as we've seen, is kind of a precursor to a more developed covenant that's coming for the nation Israel. And as Yahweh entered into this one with Abram, it's almost this calling or initiating. And it's, it's, to me, it's like Yahweh knows we need a starting point where he does all the work. He makes all the promises. He's the faithful partner. He doesn't even say things like, if you do the, if you obey and if you don't obey, that's not even in the language yet. We're going to not see that for, for a long time. And even when that language is added at Sinai, it's always said so that it will go well with you. So it's not some kind of threat or some kind of quid pro quo, can't even speak, quid pro <laughs> quo relationship. <laughs> but it's genuine love and faithfulness and hopeful intent on Yahweh's part. So I think that's important to think about. Fourth, Yahweh wants us to know of his faithfulness to his promises. You know, that idea of reading the treaty year after year in the temple. I was just thinking about, we have these re promises recorded and we can read them over and over and over and again. And, and even though they took centuries in some cases to fully play out, we see the faithfulness of Yahweh over this, in the scriptures play out over time. And then lastly, and I just want to put a teaser out because we're really trying to lean into the Old Testament piece of this, but we have to acknowledge the blood covenant that will come in Jesus. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, when we get to Matthew 28 or 26, you know, he takes the cup, he gives thanks. He says, drink, this is the blood of the covenant or the new covenant it's called in some places. So we enter and, and you think about that imagery. Wait, the body of an animal was torn in two. Mm. Jesus' body was torn in two. The blood was shed and Yahweh made the covenant regardless of our response. I think it says in Romans that before we did anything, he died for our sins while we were still in sin. And so there's just a lot of interesting, thoughtful implications that we got to think about. So there's a lot to talk about there, right, Hannah? Thank you. I think obviously these kind of treaties or covenants are unfamiliar to us in 2023. This is not necessarily our language, although I think like a concept of a wedding, those kind of vows do register with us and can perhaps be a parallel that we can get close to. But I think for me, even hearing you go through this, it is really powerful to think that God chose terms that were common to humanity, to re- that they would all understand this for the people at the time. And even the way he reverses these common practices and he takes the ownership for this upholding of the covenant. And, and just to know that what was required of man was belief, and that was credited to him as righteousness, just belief and trust. And again, flash forward to, I think of Romans 4, it says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. So thank you for explaining that, and I'm sure it's something I'll continue to be studying out because it's very deep. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun one to chew on and to revisit and think about and learn more about for sure. So I'm looking forward to next episode. Next week, we're going to do an entire episode on Sarah and Hagar, which will be fun. Yay. So well, you're going to be leading us in that conversation, right? Give yes, the women definitely. a platform. Yeah, it'll be really <laughs> fun. So, all right, everyone. Thank thanks for Dave. tuning in. We look forward to seeing you next week. Hannah, Peppa Pig. Well, I don't know. That's not, it seems offensive to call you Peppa Pig. A little I mean, bit, yeah. Okay. That's okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next episode. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation. We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content. Though I'm way down here, I get a better view of this boundless world.